Statistics on this film. Levitated by the human touch. Antonio's galloping forward. Here's the pass. Antonio's through. Chance to fall. What a goal! What a brilliant strike by Mikel Antonio. Hello. Um, it's actually a little little aside before we even get into the podcast to say that we had a long chat on this in the state of West Ham before we kind of went into our squad building that we get to in our podcast uh, before the Wolves game and the Wolves game kind of whilst continuing a theme also seemed to kind of change the landscape of what we chatted about Jack to the point that it almost it was pointless to do it without really recognizing Wolves yeah it it, it has meant that I have cut about nine minutes of the 10 minute chat we had about the state of West Ham <laughs> at the start of this podcast yeah it does slightly change things losing in the way that we did away to Wolves I think in, in a way you could all work out what we probably would have said. It wasn't going to be greatly hopeful. It was probably, well, at least we've had a win and that might solve things. And you can now learn that since then it didn't shock horror. We've also signed a striker by the looks of things as well. Um, we do squad building. We get, didn't get onto the striker part of it for a lot of detail. I can guess, however, I know it wasn't for me. I can guess that neither Jack or Cal were going to name Danny Ings. I'm, I'm, I feel confident in that one. You would be right. <laughs> Danny Ings wouldn't, wouldn't have been on the tip of my tongue. No, we didn't. We really didn't get any time to discuss strikers. It, it was uh, a, a quick um, hat tip to to Big Barry Dinners, uh, which you'll find yes. out about later in the uh, in the episode. Uh, you went for um, Jokeras, which you wonderfully pronounced as Jokeras. Yeah, and, get, get ready for that one. <laughs> and uh, I think Cal gave a mention to Lois Appender, and that was it. So you, you get about a minute on strikers later in the episode. Uh, but yeah, that's been torpedoed now because hey, Danny Ings. Yeah, what, what, were your, what were your thoughts? What were your thoughts on Ings before we before we start? Uh, I think I have, we we sort of all, all had a brief chat about it earlier. I sort of chewed your ear off in the chat uh, <laughs> with, with your slight positivity about it. Um, I understand it. I think in some ways it makes sense if you're being incredibly short-term and looking at a player who has scored goals in the top flight in England um, who can come in and hopefully get the goals that keep us in the league. Uh, But I think it's a kind of damning indication of the short-termism of the squad building over a long period of time. I think it speaks to the lack of solutions that, um, that we found this season to be able to score goals. I think it's a poor or a crude way of looking at the, the issues at West Ham, you know, like you said it yourself in the chat earlier, Fullbacks aren't very sexy. David Sullivan doesn't see fullbacks as sexy. Danny Ings is sexy, um, which is a bit of a win. <laughs> got a great sentence that I have not had to force you to say. Yeah, exactly. I don't, know, I don't know how that's just come out of my mouth. But it, a striker on nearly what will probably be about 100 grand a week, 90 grand a week, whatever it will be, because he was on about, I think, 120 uh, at Villa, um, is a much more kind of sexy transfer to, to look at. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, I'd like to I'd like to think that he will he will get the goals to keep us in the division, but I do worry about how we're gonna create the chances for him. And really if you're looking at someone who's a proven finisher, I think that guy is already at the club. Obviously we're gonna be without him for maybe um up to a month now, Skamaka. But I think his performances so far this season have kind of proven that having someone who can, you know, put, pop a goal in uh every few games from a ridiculous position because they're such a good finisher or create a chance for themselves that, that leads to a goal. Um, isn't going to be enough for us this season and it's more about finding a way to consistently create chances and I'm not sure that Danny Ings is necessarily going to solve that. He maybe does if you buy 
another player in conjunction with this signing. I don't know. I'm particularly thinking about a fullback or a, or a, or a winger at this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think the comment in the in the chat we had the most important was kind of when we discussed the fact that we're bidding for Moffy too, is in why not Moffy and a fullback, or at least why not Ings and a fullback? It seems to have to be strikers. Yeah, strikers <laughs> on top of strikers, right? It's like you're not uh, scoring enough goals, just sign more strikers. I, you know, I criticised Moyes for chucking a second striker the other day, but Sullivan clearly, I mean, must have been shouting from the stands, just put more on! But yeah, exactly. <laughs> that seems to be the approach we've gone for. Um... Yeah, I suppose the last question I'll give you right now, if you wanted one on the pitch, would it be Danny Ings or Mikel Antonio? Uh, it depends entirely how you want to play. I think if we want to continue to progress the way that we play uh, and play with more of the ball, even though we've seen so little of that on the pitch, so little evidence of that. I mean, again, Mikel Antonio speaking after the Wars game, saying that we've really tried to transition the way that we want to play. The messaging has changed from the manager. If that is going to continue to be the case, and if Mikel Antonio looks like he's on the way out, uh, as a result of being, you know, not being someone that necessarily fits into that style of play all that well, then Danny Ings definitely. Um, but if you were to go back to basis, basics and, and look to kind of, you know, as Callum Wilson laughs at him in that podcast, saying, you know, boom the ball down the channels, and that's when you want Mickey. If you're not going to do that, then I'm sorry, mate. <laughs> it's time <laughs> to move on. You know, and if that's the case, if we're not going to do that, then yes, maybe Ings. But but if we were going to, you know, play to Antonio's strengths again at, at one point, then. Maybe him is a difficult decision at the moment. I think perhaps just having a fresh face him will, will make a difference. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a strange transfer, and I do think you know we may look. It will look completely different once you get to the summer, regardless of what happens, because in the summer you'll think, well, now we've probably got someone who's going to be third choice striker who we definitely cannot shift because no one's going to buy this guy on the wages that he's on at thirty one, and he's you know you've got a thirty one year old then. On maybe I don't know we don't know don't know the contract yet, but say another two years, um, on on pretty hefty wages, which I think is a problem for squad building. You know, I, I was a it was a good response earlier when I put up. I don't think I need to say what I think about this when when it was first announced, and and uh, I can't remember who it was. I do apologise, but someone responded on Twitter and said I've just drank a can of Red Bull. <laughs> so it's about as un yeah. Red Bull strategy as you could possibly get. Yeah, uh, we will kind of go on to discuss more of our or mainly youtube our vision of a kind of profile of recruitment and yeah whilst we talk about that hope you can have this nice stark contrast to the reality beforehand um have fun enjoy hello and welcome back to another episode of the knees up mother brown west ham united podcast it's been a while not an enjoyable while as a West Ham fan, but it's a new year and we're putting the Moyes debate behind us for now. With me, as ever, from Analytics United, it's the wonderful Jack Elderson and the fantastic Callum Goodall. How are we both? Good, not too bad. Uh, glad to be back, I guess, um, even though it's been very traumatic. <laughs> let's let's talk about West Ham! <laughs> no, no enthusiasm? No? Oh, just, loads of enthusiasm, as always, Chris, as always. Well, very much just appreciate that I haven't made an age joke for about the first time in every podcast you've ever done. Amazing. Um, Does that make me old now? Yeah, it's because you're old now, mate. <laughs> We're a year on, that's it. <laughs> that's a, this is how we, we look at time. It's by how I address you. We have um, to be today, registered for the squad now. Yeah, exactly. Oh, look at that. Look at that. That ties into nice. what we're going to talk about. How clever that is. We're looking at squad management today. Um, but first, we'll have a quick discussion, as it's been so long, about the uh, the situation we're in at West Ham. 
There's been a lot of instability throughout the season. A lot of it's been based on injuries and key players not being fit. Agard and Corne both having long-term injuries um, have has, has really affected um, the way in which we were able to play. Um, we've spoken about that before on the podcast, and I think um, it, it's 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 a huge issue that we're still going to struggle to navigate in some ways because Corne is a really important profile for the squad that we don't really have another another player like him to be able to use and you see how impactful he was off the bench uh, quite regularly in the period of the season that he was fit uh, until we start scoring goals I will be concerned I think there are some tactically more hopeful things happening um, over the last few weeks there's been uh, moves in the right direction in midfield which was the key thing to sort out really um, or one of the most important things to sort out seeing Pakatar play a little bit deeper seeing Suchet get a little bit further forward when he does play for now's coming back into the team most recently and and uh, and a little bit more of a pressing approach all of these things will help the players be a little bit better but until that confidence comes and the goals start coming and certainly goals that aren't necessarily all screamers um, start coming uh, I, my my main uh, feeling will be that it's important that we just stay in the league this season I don't think you can be too hopeful about much else happening until until the goals really come what we're looking at mostly today having kind of addressed where we are and I don't want to think too much about where we are for much longer um, <laughs> is where we, where we plan to go really and what this squad will do we, we had a summer of rebuild and of course, as we're West Ham, we've had one summer of rebuild, which is just the start of our summer of rebuilds, because we probably have another one coming by the looks of the squad makeup and by the looks of the players who possibly want to be moving on as well. We've got players like Dawson and Antonio who are seemingly getting interest. I know Moyes has confirmed today that we've had a bid from Wolves for Dawson to turn down. And we've got other players who are approaching ages where you might want to move them on, whether that be more obvious with Randall for... Randolph, you've little questions around Cresswell. No, keep as well. it as Randolph. I quite like that. Randolph. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, there's a lot of stuff going on in my brain when we're doing this. Okay. <laughs> he doesn't play. He's barely got a name. Wait till I do Big Barry Dinners again instead of Ben Bridge and Diaz later. <laughs> a spoiler for a name that we've got coming up. Um, obviously, there's a lot of things to take into consideration with a squad. You don't just go, I want best players everywhere. Well, you, you might do if you're Manchester City or you're Liverpool, etc. But for other clubs, there's, there's quotas you need to fit into, which are hard to fit into. There's there's budgets and there's also where you're looking to pro- progress that squad. And we started in the summer, you'd assume many of the signings were to prog- progress us on a certain path. You'd hope at least it had been planned ahead of time, although questions will be asked um and where we're going next really and that's that's kind of what we're looking at today so it's it's the kind of ideas of what we want from this squad and the priorities moving forward Uh, my recruitment specialist and my tactical genius have been thinking about this question i mean it's right (laughs) up your street cow this is basically i don't know this is like a game this is just every day every minute of the day just sitting around five or four lists 100 players in every position um what are your priorities looking at this squad and where we're going and where you'd like us to go as well? Well, I'd like us to go forward and to do that properly, we need some new fullbacks. So <laughs> I think fullbacks is uh, is my priority. Uh, and has on it both ever thus been with West Ham? Has well, it ever thus exactly. Been? <laughs> exactly. I think we're entering a point. I mean, Cresswell has been a fantastic servant and his form's he's maintained his level of performance for far longer than I think most people would have seen um, coming and Unfortunately, the time age is catching up with him. He's getting slower and slower. And we've we've left ourselves in a situation where we've brought in Emerson, who's on a long contract on a lot of money, and he's probably going to stick around. But we're in a position where we're going to need to bring in another left back. 
Um, and then Soufal as well seems to be on a bit of a decline, although his performance against Leeds before he went off, I thought was particularly impressive. Uh, and Johnson, I just don't really know what his trajectory is at the minute. I don't know what... It it, it seemed like he was a shoo-in to be the, the successor to Soufal, and it seems that that progress has stalled, perhaps. I don't know if that's wrong of me to say, but it just I don't have as much confidence in his progression as I did at first. We, we haven't uh, seen I, much development from him, I don't think, over the course of the, the last... Mm, sort of the, the tail end of last season very tail end of last season but so, definitely this season we haven't really seen him uh, progress much beyond where he was and also his contract situation is one to, to keep an eye on as well but yeah go I ahead suppose, yeah also or just yeah, no. Johnson if I just say it's it's it, the problem is also that he doesn't seem to be making progress in the areas that we need him to make we need a kind of another dimension to him to add as an attacking play for example he doesn't seem to be really making those steps to get better in the areas that we really need him to. Yeah. yeah his limitations are things that. that we need to upgrade in the squad, I suppose. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I think as well, another interesting thing in terms of why our flag up fullbacks is, well, I suppose in this context is wingbacks, but we've seen Moyes try an experiment with this three, four, three system um, without the personnel really to do it. So I think if that's still a, avenue that we want to go down in the future and I think based on what I've seen when we have played the 3-4-3 particularly more recently I do think it does look like a viable formation for us we just need to recruit better for it um, we obviously didn't get Kostic which seemingly was Moyes' number one target in the summer and, and we ended up with Emerson who I don't know if there's any similarity between those two profiles of, of left-sided defender um, so I think finding someone ideally who is comfortable playing both as a fullback in a four and as a wingback in in the 3-4-3 that would be the the sort of unicorn appointment if you will because I think one of the issues with recruiting for both formations is that you end up with certain players in the squad who are sat around waiting for us to play a certain formation for them Mm. to be useful and the rest of the season they're sat there going well why am I here? Because we're not going to play wing backs today and I can't play in a back four. So I think trying to find the player that has the skill set to do both. Um, and obviously it helps as well, just in terms of a bit of continuity and a bit of chemistry. Like if you're keeping chopping and changing your back line with the formation and the personnel, it's never going to gel. Um, yeah. So having someone that can play pretty much every game would be ideal, I think. I suppose it's also a level of, if you have the skill set to play, to do both, it's also means you've got the skill sets to do both. I guess it gives it, it's a a level of ability that if you are if you are good enough to be a wing back, you're probably offering a better attacking threat from left back maybe than a full back who isn't. I know you've spoken yep. Jack often about you want players who are that tactically tactically flexible. Yeah, I I I think tactical flexibility is really important. I think one of the limitations that we we're seeing exposed in, in terms of our summer recruitment is that we recruited too many players um, that didn't have the sort of flexibility to play in 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 multiple um systems i think particularly thinking about tilo carer and emerson palmieri when when i say that in that tilo seems like he was signed to play uh, in a back three and we haven't really played a back three all that often and actually most frustratingly recently when we have played a back three he hasn't played um but then has played as a as both a right back and, and a left back uh, which is a bit strange. And then Emerson, another player who I think you, on the face of it looks like was uh, he was signed to play as the left wing back in a back three, but hasn't really offered enough in that position to make even make that position his own and certainly hasn't proven that, that he's got the defensive ability to to play in a back four. 
Um, so for, I, I completely agree with what Gal was saying in that, you know, looking forward and looking at who we'd recruit going forward. You want players who can play in, in, in both of those systems. I think it's okay to maybe have one player in that back line who you have particularly, you know, uh, as a, as a maybe a more inflexible option, say a defensive fullback, um, yeah. someone like Ben Johnson, I think is a fine option to have in the squad who wouldn't necessarily be so useful to you in a back three um, setting. But you don't want to have you know two, three, four players who who are only going to be useful in one of those situations because, as we've seen this season, when you have injuries, that puts you in all sorts of all sorts of bother. It's, 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 it's often talked about with the fullbacks, but it's really key with the centre-backs as well. For example, Dawson against Brentford was often that spare first centre-back who was getting forward on the ball in midfield, which is probably the situation you want Craig Dawson in the least. Yeah, it's not really <laughs> the optimal position for him. You, what you want Craig Dawson is running 60 yards back towards his own goal at pace like he does, yeah. having just been in a lovely although some of his long passing <laughs> biggest yeah. belief um we'll talk about quotas in this world it's important to um to know what those are so for the premier league you need a minimum of eight players trained in england for three years before their 21st birthday now if you have only seven you have to have that empty space empty to give you that uh, so an empty space can count towards one of those uh, we might not be in europe next year but the europa conference rules you need the same for minimum of eight players trained in England for three years before 21, but also four players trained by the club for three years between 15 and 21. Although I, I guess that's naturally going to be reasonably easy because every club's got academies. But those those quotas are quite important this summer, Jack, because we've got, you know, the likes of Dawson, Antonio, Rice, Cresswell reaching a certain age. And then you're looking at basically having, I mean, Randolph's, or Randolph, as I now call him, is probably on the way out as well. You're, you're looking at maybe having Bowen, Bowen, Johnson, and Downs, possibly. So we have to plan our recruitment around that, don't we? And it's how you prioritise that and where you buy those positions that makes it a kind of an interesting a puzzle to solve, Jack. Yeah, first of all, I'd just like it to make it clear to all the listeners that, that Chris got those registration rules from Football Manager just before yeah, yeah, we started. I'm reading. It's on my screen right now. It's on my screen right now. That's and... players of the age of 20 or younger on the first of that new year. <laughs> you don't have to be registered. And secondarily, I think it's 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 important to, to, to look at the contracts that are running down, but also the situation we sort of found ourselves in uh, with with both Declan Rice and Mikel Antonio, who maybe haven't had, uh, well, Declan Rice, who we expect will move on um, in the summer, very likely, um, and uh, Mikel Antonio, who doesn't seem to be particularly pleased with a um, a backup role in in the squad, um, and maybe looking at the potential of another move at this stage of his career because it would definitely be his last move, uh, with the chance of playing uh, maybe a little bit more Premier League football than he might get at West Ham going forward. So you can understand his interest in a move potentially at this stage, given his age. Um, but it does put us in a precarious position because, like you said. Cresswell is out of contract um, this summer. Whether he gets renewed or not will be an interesting thing. I, at this point, 
uh, would guess that it's relatively likely that he will um, to to ease uh, the degree um, that we'll have to focus on homegrown players uh, in the summer coming up. Declan Rice likely to leave uh, another homegrown player. Um, Mikel Antonio possibly leaving another homegrown player. Craig Dawson looks like he's leaving this window, um, who is one of our homegrown players. Ben Johnson's contract situation uh, seems pretty unstable. Um, it seems to me, from what I read about this, it's been a while since we've had any news on Ben Johnson but uh, with regards to his contract. But looking back uh, at the last time contract talks with Ben Johnson were in the news, uh, mostly what we were reading about was that the club were reluctant to offer him uh, a deal that reflected the other fullbacks in the squad, seeing him more as a sort of prospective option rather than a bona fide member of the uh, senior squad. Um, his agent and himself his, his representatives obviously not happy with that and not willing to accept those terms um which given that he's now 22 will be 23 next season going into the last year of his contract i think is understandable i think at that stage of your career you'd want to be looking to being a a, a certain member of a senior squad rather than being forever an academy player just because you're playing for the team that you you know came through the academy at um and then we've also got Connor Coventry out of contract, uh, looks certain to leave uh, in the summer, and Dan Randolph out of contract. So that's a lot, a lot of senior players potentially out the door. Uh, worth maybe also saying that Nathan Trott will return from his loan at Valia and be in the last year of his contract as well. Um, I think it, it potentially makes it worthwhile, even though uh, fullbacks are a really important position to to sort out um, in the summer. It makes it worthwhile. Um, because of the, the the homegrown situation, to probably renew Aaron Cresswell's contract yeah. for an additional year, um, to to ease that somewhat, and also to offer Ben Johnson those improved terms uh, and keep him around as a backup option in the fullback positions. Um, I think that makes things a little bit easier. I think with regards to some of the older players, Dawson will will leave. So I think we can we can say that that's as good as done. And I think if there is an offer for Mikel Antonio at this stage of his career, where we will never really be able to recoup any kind of uh, finance, you know, financial positives from from that um, or upsides from that going forwards from this point, if there is a decent offer on the table uh, either this window or in the summer, then that is pretty interesting with regards to Antonio because. I think West Ham will almost certainly be looking to recruit another striker either this January or in the summer, uh, which could potentially make him third choice. And if you're looking at maybe between six and 10 million on the table for Antonio, then that maybe makes that a deal, uh, a deal worth doing. So I think what you'd maybe be, the, the thing that's been, been interesting to me looking over the last uh, couple of days at this is uh, what you do with the other left backs. Uh, because I think we were we're, we're very likely going to have to recruit a, a left back in the summer to just improve in that position because it's clearly an area that that, that, that needs improvement. So the question sort of becomes: What do you do with Emerson uh, and obviously Masawaku, who will be returning as well in the summer, um, if you're going to keep Cresswell? Because you you can't really have. I know I can't remember how much Emerson was about fifteen million. Uh, you can't yeah. mm-hmm. really have that that much money as a third choice option at left back. Um, so. I, I was looking at uh, maybe offloading Emerson on loan, selling Masuaku, keeping Cresswell as the backup option, and then bringing someone in as the first choice left back from next season. And looking at right back as well, I think this pretty much hinges on whether or not they renew Soufal's contract. I think if you renew Soufal's contract, you go out and sign a first team left back for a, a decent chunk of change in the summer. 
Yeah. If uh, bear in mind, Sufar has two a two year option on his deal, so that secures you for a couple of years. If um, if they don't renew Sufar's deal, or we don't we don't renew Sufar's deal in the summer, and he leaves on a free, um, then I would maybe be looking more so at a loan in the left back position because of the coverage we have in that area some sort of premium loan that may be available, either a domestic player that's looking to move, but maybe um, uh, a loan from outside of the Premier League, Um, something like what Nottingham Forest have done with Renan Lodi um, this season, just to cover you for a year, move that one to the next summer, and then spend the money in the right-back position. I think there may be some more interesting opportunities coming up in in the summer in the right-back position, more so than left-back. I see, because, yeah, I've heard... Sufal offers from Bayer Leverkusen, I believe, and he doesn't seem like from all reports that he's willing to be sitting on the bench as a backup. Um, so, yeah, I mean, from what I can gather from the start of the season, Fabianski is out of contract at the end of the season. Randolph, Lanzini, Cresswell, Coventry, Ogbonna, Dawson. Big names, but older names that you'd probably, actually, a lot of them, you'd be quite happy to let go at this period, wouldn't you, Cal? And it, it does offer a reasonable amount of flexibility and yet a chance to plan ahead when you know these things are going to be happening. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Um, I still think whilst it does give you the opportunity to plan ahead, I think uh, I would have probably liked to have planned ahead a bit sooner and a bit smarter. <laughs> so you could, because I think, so you could make some money. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, we've had to do two, like last year was dubbed as the big rebuild and then we're kind of having to rebuild again on top of, the foundations we laid last summer so um it is a bit frustrating but yeah I think with regards to the contract situation I think like you say there's a lot of uh, deadwood is really harsh and an overused term but like players that we're not necessarily going to miss like Lanzini has kind of just he's not a real squad member anymore there's not really a place for him I mean um so I'm sure he'll probably return back to Argentina um but yeah I think it's exciting, but I, I do just worry how much money is in is in the coffers to do another round of what we did yeah. last summer, essentially, because we spent so much then. And I think the my view at the time, in fairness, probably should have had some foresight and seen it coming down the road, but was that we spend all that money and we probably won't spend that much again because we won't need to because it's a one-time thing but we're kind of back at square one again it feels but just with a bunch of different positions (laughs) i think because of what you said i think that makes it like you know about the amount of money that may be available and the amount of flux that that it may force in the squad i think that might be the reason that we see some some potentially unexpected renewals i i i Mm. i I wouldn't be surprised if cresswell and sufal stick around uh, at Mm. all i wouldn't be surprised if lanzini gets that two-year option on his deal I don't think he'd be particularly unhappy to to stay in London. Um, He's got a lot of yeah. money, uh, and uh, and be a backup option for another for another two years. Uh, I know he's on a lot of money, but I wouldn't. I, I I wouldn't be surprised if these things happened. I wouldn't do them personally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I, and also, I suppose if it's it's it might be cheaper than making a ba- and also making a bad decision as well. If you're doing it on the budget, actually knock it two mm-hmm. years down the road for a backup player no harm i guess that's what i'm trying to say is the yeah. club may look at it and see like how can we you know maybe make a couple of these renewals and keep people around in the in the squad just to sort, sort of stagger this out over a few windows rather than having to because you know if you did if you did let everyone go that was out of contract and you had and, and and say rice left as well and maybe johnson left and maybe antonio leaves and possibly ben rama could could be someone that might move in the summer as well um 
if he's not going to be, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty certain the club's going to look at a left winger at, at some stage as a key position mm. um, to recruit. And so he may be someone that that might be on the move as well, just to, to bring in some money. You're imagining Vlasic is going to go either on that deal to Torino or somewhere else. Masuel could probably goes when he comes back from his loan yeah. with, with all of that, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd be looking at, you know, 10, 11 signings for the summer, which is just not really realistic at all um mm-hmm. so they are going to have to stagger it in some way some of those players are going to have to be kept um and potentially we're going to have to let their contracts run down and then be in another situation and a uh, summer afterwards or you just trigger a couple of these options and allow yourself to stagger it in a way um it's not optimal but it's the situation we found ourselves in i think we'll take a break then we'll come back in a second and talk about where we'd go big, where we'd use the kind of money, where we'd use the smart deals and use the homegrown, also the kind of identity that we'll build the squad into, which is a big question as this season ticks on and doesn't go wonderfully well about you know who may be in charge come the summer and what, what we have to aim for there. And we are back. So looking at, well, looking at the squad, looking at what we're going forward, we, look, we would talk about identity, but we don't mean playing identity as such with that, especially as that's so kind of hard to grasp what's going on in the future. It's more the identity of how we recruit, isn't it, Jack? So we're looking at, we have a, we, we have a type of style. This other teams, Southampton were famous for it for a while, weren't they? Kind of buying young, buying cheap and looking to sell on and make money to progress. We, we've not done that in our history as far as I'm concerned, but it could be an approach that would work for us. Yeah, I think, I think that there is uh, solid evidence to suggest if you can get that right, as Brentford and Brighton have done recently, um, recruiting from from lesser known, known leagues, recruiting from uh, lower divisions in uh, in England, um, developing players and then looking to sell them at some stage. Well, factoring into your thinking that you're not necessarily just developing them to be at their best level for you, but that you're, you're develop, developing them to be at their best level for you for a shorter period before you then look to 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 sell on for a profit, so that you can then reinvest that money to regenerate the position. Um, I think there's there's fairly solid evidence to suggest that that mode of recruitment um, works fairly well for teams on smaller budgets than ourselves um, and potentially looking at, uh, at the way that we're floundering right now, looking at the way that, that Everton are floundering, looking at the way that the Wolves are floundering. Teams at Villa haven't really had, have had very limited success. Um, that, that other mode of recruitment where you go and recruit um, players from teams that are at sort of a similar level to you around Europe. Mm. You're buying, you're all buying off of each other. You're trying to buy that sort of level of player that's maybe not quite good enough to play for the top six. You might get a couple that are good enough to play for the top six, but, you know, had a transfer summer where they were on the move and none of the top six were interested in them or Juventus, PSG weren't interested in them. This season, this summer just gone, we had some luck with Lucas Bacatar and Gianluca Scamacca, both players who could play at that level, but just didn't have the, the, the openings that they were looking for or the clubs that they were looking for for in for them but were on the move needed to move um and that meant that we could get them uh, but largely your, your recruitment ends up being full of players that sort of operate on that level just below and then you're looking to break in with a with a squad full of those players um with no real idea or planning towards selling them the idea is more that you're looking to keep players as best you can um and keep hold of players as they hit their best levels for as long as you possibly can um and I suppose the question is, if if Brighton, Brighton and Brentford are, are are outflanking um clubs with much bigger budgets, is is their is their model of recruitment something that, that clubs like West Ham, Everton, Aston Villa, Wolves um should be looking at a little bit more? 
it must be kind of this is your your bread and butter cow i mean i've seen the kind of <laughs> south american finds that you you've highlighted uh, even so far this season that have popped up at places like southampton obviously i i i find it very unlikely that you're going to tell me that you'd rather we stuck to how we do things <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think anyone listening that that knows anything that i do will know that i am massively in favor of the brighton brentford model and i think as jack's rightly pointed out i think the evidence continues to grow and i think as the coffers of the top six i suppose now seven with newcastle also continue to grow exponentially we're not going to be able to keep up so i think the the method that we've taken in previous seasons is going to grow increasingly redundant because it'd just be a fool's errand to try and keep up or break into that top six as um, far as i see it in any other way really i'm all right in thinking as well that a lot of a lot of the kind of these top clubs you're saying they're kind of the upper echelons above us they're looking for players to come and perform at teams like us rather than getting them on the cheap anyway aren't they they actually would they're happy to spend multitudes more on a player they know is proven so there's actually, there is a market there for you to just sit really nicely and kind of take advantage of that yeah, yeah absolutely yeah 100 percent yeah. I think less less so in the well, increasingly so in the Prem, but I think you look at I don't know, a few examples, but Enzo Fernandez, for example, someone in the Prem could definitely have, they would have been very much aware of him at River Plate. I mean, if if I was aware of him then I <laughs> then it goes without saying that the top scouts in the world are gonna know who he is. But they still didn't pull the trigger. They chose to let him go to Benfica and watch him perform at that level and then now someone's gonna have to pull the trigger at what looks like a hundred million pounds to bring him in so it seems nonsensical but i suppose it (laughs) they have the money so letting him it it kind of eliminates the risk because you could buy him and then it doesn't work out and then you look like you look a bit silly but if you let him go and prove it in europe at at a step up from argentina or brazil or or chile or colombia or wherever and they do prove it, then they have the money to go in and go, okay, well, you've taken the risk for us and now we're going to take him off you and reward you for the risk that you took, essentially. Is he a South American football hipster? He did say Chile. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I spent four years specialising in Latin American studies, man. Come on. <laughs> uh, better than, I mean, I can't even say Irish, English, Irish names, so I really shouldn't be speaking <laughs> right now. Um, why, why don't all clubs do that? I mean, it, it feels from the, when you're talking about it like this, and you know, I, I'm not a, a brain for things like this, but that's how I do it. I mean, it surprises me that more businessmen, and most people who own football clubs are businessmen, and you'd think would quite enjoy making the money. What is it about expectations at clubs? And it seems to be clubs like us, Everton, Villa, who maybe feel like they're of a certain level. Why are they not doing that, Jack? Why is it an arrogance in the fan base and the club in general, or just easy habits i i think it's a, it's the clubs as a whole i think the clubs as a whole have this attitude that because of the size of the fan base and because of the of the of the money that is available that they should be competing um at, at the highest level in in the division and unfortunately there is this just uh there needs to be this harsh realization at some stage for all of these clubs that um there is such stratification in place because of the un just inordinate wealth at, at mm. the at the tops of these divisions that you could do that forever and you might get one season where you break in but you're just it's you're not going to to sustain it because you you know teams like um teams like Chelsea can have like for example this season they're going to fall out of the top six this season probably they're definitely going to fall out of the top four this season that's fine for Chelsea Chelsea have got enough money 
to drop out for a season, pour a load of money back into it, and then get back get back there. That's what Arsenal have Arsenal have done it pretty well. Sort of dropped Arsenal out Man United for, for a period <laughs> and reinvested really heavily over a period to to get themselves back there. Manchester United have done it recently, as you say. If a club like West Ham got into the top six, brilliant. Okay, you've got there. You've arrived in the top six. Maybe you stayed in the top six for two seasons. Leicester's a good example, right? You stay in the top six for a couple of seasons. You've done an amazing job to get there. Fantastic. Credit to you. Well done. Once you drop out of the top six, as everyone inevitably will at some stage, it can't always work out forever. You're going to have off seasons. Clubs like Leicester, West Ham, Everton don't have then 250, 300 million pounds to then throw at it to completely rejuvenate things, get a top manager in and then compete again at the top level. You're just buggered. <laughs> yeah, I, should, I, sp- I should say there is a, also there is a risk to it, isn't there? If, if you look at Southampton, they were brilliant at it until they weren't. And now they still have this model where they buy young players. But if you're, you're taking a hell of a risk, if you'll get but young players who also aren't quite good enough, you're probably going to go down. Yes, but the thing, I think the thing that, that can set these teams apart that we're talking about, West Ham, Everton, Wolves, Villa, uh, and, and just let's speak from a West Ham perspective, the thing that can set us apart is we do have that budget that's slightly bigger. Mm. So we yeah. don't need to go and do what Brighton and Brentford have to do, where they have to always recruit, sort of undervalued, find this undervalued talent, find young players, develop them, try and get them to the top level. Some of it might, you know, it's pretty hit and miss. And luckily for these clubs, they've got it right more than they've got it wrong, but they still get it wrong on a regular basis with lots of players that come in and go out, um, you know, that they have enough of a success, uh, a high enough success rate that they're able to to compete at a good level consistently over long periods, as they have done recently. Uh, with West Ham, you don't need to be bringing in just young players. The point maybe for me is if you look at the recent window, so for example, the, the last window where we signed Pakataska, Maka, Agurd, Corne, Emerson, Kera, Downs and Ariola. Um, or even let's look at a window um, before that, one of the really big windows before that, where we signed Anderson, Diop, Yarmolenko, Fabianski, Perez, Balbuena, Silva, Wilshire, Sanchez, and Fredericks. What I'm saying is, okay, go and get the two, you know, those two big signings that you're going to bring in that are going to elevate your squad to a, to a, to a significant degree. So go and get your your Lucas Pakatar if that opportunity opens itself to you. Go and get your John Lucas Kamaka if that opportunity that if that opportunity is there to go and get that player. But when you're looking at those players below that that you're then bringing in to supplement those windows, your Emerson Palmieri, your Tilo Kera, your Alphonse Ariola, your Maxwell Corne. Can you, instead of going and spending 15 to 20 million pounds on those players that are underperforming and maybe at the top six level or are performing well at other clubs below you um, in the Premier League or in that similar sort of milieu of clubs around Europe, can you, instead of doing that, go and recruit the next Kaoru Matoma in that position and show faith in those, a bit like we did with Flynn Downs. And what I'm trying to say is, Maybe the best thing for West Ham going forward is to have a have a better blend between those two things. Have your two or three big signings uh, at, that have built up over a couple of seasons. So maybe you have five players in the squad that you're looking at and saying, yeah, these guys are sort of top six ready players. And then maybe you have six guys in the squad, five, six guys in the squad who are a little bit younger, who you're showing some faith in and trying to develop alongside those players. Um, rather than having the sort of rotating cast that you're constantly spending, you know, massive sums of money on that are never really going to take you very far, that are often older, you know, like good example being like Andrew Yarmolenko or Emerson is another good example, players that are like sort of 28, 29, maybe have an injury record or just aren't fancied at this big club, come to West Ham, 
often don't set the world on fire. I mean, nine times out of 10 don't set the world on uh, a light and then leave without us making any of our money back. Uh, and I think that's the real key thing that these clubs need to cut out and definitely something that West Ham need to cut out. Well, you've got the squad list in front of you. And I, I, I basically get to pass to you now. If we If we go through kind of area by area, maybe rather than each specific player slot by slot, um, we can have a look at kind of contracts and also where where we'd be looking to make those decisions. Where are we looking for that big upgrade? Where are we looking for the cheaper player who's a little bit younger this time or is a domestic player so he fills our gap? So well, let's start with goalkeepers. The goalkeepers next season, um, you've got Fabianski out of contract uh, with a one-year option, so you could renew him for an additional season. You've got Alphonse Ariola, who's under contract for, for quite a long period. He's uh, 2027 plus one year. And then Darren Randolph out of contract at the end of the season, no option on his contract and Nathan Trott into the last year of his contract. Um, I think goalkeeper is becoming a position that we'd need to recruit in. Um, but for me, I don't know how you guys feel about this. Um, and I'm happy to sort of open the discussion to maybe bring a keeper in. But for me, I would I would probably look to renew that, uh, take up that option in Fabianski's deal and just fill that third slot option again with a, with a homegrown keeper right i mean either nathan trot goes in there for a year sees out the last year of his contract or if that's not fair on him and he wants to go and progress in his development take up another loan somewhere else like his loan at value this season then go and bring in i don't know who are the keepers on the move in the summer i've sent them in the chat to you the other day jack butland i think is is on the move i think for free bettinelli is on the move for free this summer uh gillespie will leave newcastle there are a number of things English keepers who trot. you could get on a free uh, and slot them in uh, as that third choice keeper. I think I'd go trot as a club and actually be quite selfish about it and just put it. Put it. I don't. I don't. I don't feel like it's worth. I mean, it, I, I guess I suppose it depends on what's on offer. If Jack Butland's willing to come in on dirt cheap wages, better than you know not having him. But it feels like it's well, he, he doesn't play. Don't <laughs> Randolph. So what's the harm? I suppose it depends if Trot wants to do that. Yeah. I guess if it, he might see himself being able to go and play in the Championship or League One or something and prefer the game time. But I think on the Trot note, it does, going back to those quotas, he would qualify not only as homegrown, but also a player that's come through the club's academy. So would make up one of those four um, places, which I think if you're looking to use the third choice goalkeeper as a quota filler, then I think you're hard pressed to find someone who can tick both boxes, um, which would be, which would be ideal, I suppose. Yeah. In the fullback positions is the interesting one, I guess the one that everyone's going to be talking about. And we've already spoken a little bit about on this pod. Um, Sufal with two year option on his deal up this summer, Cresswell out of contract this summer, Ben Johnson into the last year of his deal this summer and no progress on, on a new deal for him as yet. Uh, Emerson Palmieri under contract for a long time, despite being a 28 year old, uh, 2026 with a, an additional year uh, as an option on his contract. And obviously Arthur Masuaku will return in the summer from his loan to Besiktas uh, with one year left on his deal. Also in the under 20 uh, ones, um, I assume Longello will be the, the the sort of closest to senior action player that will be uh, back in the summer, his contract expires this um, this at the end of this season. He'll be back from Birmingham City. So, um, sort of ideas for what we'd want to do in those positions. Maybe I mean I I think it's maybe a little bit unrealistic to, given as we'll see when we go through the rest of the squad, to be able to sign two premium options at right back and left back going to next season. So how how what are our ideas for managing that? 
I, I suppose, like you say, it depends on whether you extend Sifal um, or not, and then that dictates where you spend the money. From a personal level, I think I would extend Cresswell's contract. Um, just, I just think looking at the amount of players that are leaving, and then if we, as I'm assuming, we're all resigned to the fact that Rice probably leaves this summer, there is a sort of a void of leadership, in my opinion, and I know that that's something that a lot of people are happy to sometimes overlook in, in preference for just getting in as much quality as possible but I think if you lose Rice the year after you've lost Noble and then you've got the likes of Dawson potentially Fabianski all senior players Randolph as well I suppose who's been around those sort of senior figures all disappear and then Cresswell goes as well I think it, it potentially is not a good thing so I think just keeping him around for that alone I think uh, is important but it does then leave you with Cresswell and Emerson and then I'm still probably wanting an upgrade on both of those, um, which makes it difficult. Yeah, it's, it is hard, isn't it? I mean, if Sufal's form for the rest of the season is like the Leeds game, you think he looks he looks a passable, looks like a passable right back. Um, but then it's hard to, to discuss the fullbacks in the Leeds game because he, he looks so much better than the abomination on the other side. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I agree on Chris. I think the, my, my big fear is that we've lost characters. And again, as much as Rice is an, I, I don't want to say immature, it's an unfair word, but you know what I mean? A younger captain, he is still a big character. And I, I think Antonio is obviously a big, big larger than life character and he could move on. Um, and I think Crespo is a certain level of continuity that would be, I think it's a certain like, it gets a solid pro down with faint praise a little bit, isn't it? But you do want yes. those about. Yeah, um, yeah. And get to, to his credit, he has looked like he can be a left-sided centre-back as long as there's a bit of pace somewhere around him. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think I, I, it's hard, isn't it? Because I, 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 I would say that they are the two positions we are weakest in as starters. And yet I'd also... I don't know how we manage the squad in a way where we don't end up having kind of four left backs and three right backs. Uh, my my idea for this would be uh, let Sufal's deal expire, renew Cresswell as we've all suggested um, for an additional on a one on a one year contract. I would sell Masawaku as I think most people would uh, in the summer for for whatever you can get. Really, I, I don't. I wouldn't be holding out for a massive fee for him. Um, and uh, I would. Probably in order to be able to do the business I'd want to, I'd I'd try and loan a left back in. Um, and then if we were able to get a left back in on loan who we could see as someone who we could rotate with Cresswell for the season, I would then loan Emerson out um for, for the season. Uh and then I think the most interesting opportunity I can see is at right back. Um and Southampton look the maybe the most doomed club, can we say? Southampton and Bournemouth. <laughs> the yeah. ones you'd be mm. most concerned about, which for me means that one of Tino Livramento or Carl Walker-Peters probably moves in the summer. Yes, I've heard Walker-Peters as uh, one who's looked to go. And I think it's most likely most likely Walker-Peters. And there, in Walker-Peters, you've got a homegrown option on a cut price deal from a team going to the championship potentially. Uh, at a decent age, you can fill that slot for a long time for West Ham. Uh, and that's pretty interesting to me. Um, so I'd be thinking about Walker Peters uh, and Ben Johnson as well. I'd sort out the, the I'd just give him improved terms, like a first teamer, uh, and get him tied down on another sort of four year contract, maybe, and have him has as a, as a backup option uh, in there. And then I'd, then I'd look to do the left back uh, permanent signing the, in the following summer. 
Would you loan out? I think we'd all probably have to loan out Longello. Look at the size of the squad. I would. I, it depends on whether he, he uh, whether you can agree a contract with him to keep him around um, to be able to loan him out again. He may just decide that he has offers from the championship, for example, and is happy to uh, yeah. to take those rather than resigning, uh, which I think would be understandable. It's going to be a lot of movement, surely, in the centre back positions where you could conceivably see three of the five leaving. Well, Old Bonner and Dawson are going, aren't they? I mean, Dawson is going to go this window. That looks certain. Uh, Old Bonner will be let go in the summer. So that leaves us with um, Zuma, Kara, um, Agard, and uh, Louis Zhao. Is that right? Oh, yes, Louis Zhao as well, yes. Um, I don't know. I mean, uh, Cal did a scout report on Louis Zhao that you can read on the Analytics United website. Uh, You're probably the person to ask about this as a result. Is he someone that could be kept around as fourth choice option um, in the centre back positions, or or um, or does he need to to go on a loan somewhere to continue his development? Um, I think probably alone. I probably wouldn't have enough confidence just yet uh, in him. I think he's played a fair amount of minutes for his age in the Brazilian top flight, so he has got senior minutes under his belt. But I think there's a bit too much rawness for him to be reliable um and i think from what i've seen he looks as though he'd be more effective in a back three than a back four so i suppose depending on the direction that whichever manager we end up with uh going into next season uh whichever formation they tend to play i suppose that would affect how useful he is to the squad i think if we're going to commit to a back three and you want to have I suppose if you do that, you're probably going to want to have six centre backs around at least, and then I think maybe there's a there's a role for him as a as a lateral centre back because he tends to like to press out quite aggressively, and and that can leave holes in behind. Um, which, if we're going to play a back four, is not something I would want to see. I, I think um, it's it's un, possibly unrealistic to get to six centre backs. <laughs> uh, yeah, in the summer, so I think you kind of have to look at it in a back four context. I, I I'm. I'm probably relegating Tilo Kerr to the Jonathan Spector role of utility backup across the across the back line. Um, yeah, he could probably play a midfield a bit like Johnny as well. Yeah, exactly. So I, I'm probably giving Kerr the Spector role, and then I'm also again looking at at, at loans uh, for this position. Uh, Chelsea interest me in the summer potentially as uh, for centre backs that might be available on loan. Uh, next season and centre-backs that might be also homegrown as as well that would would potentially be available on loan. Uh, Levi Colwell, obviously out on loan uh, this season with Brighton, uh, is a potentially interesting option. Should he be available again? Uh, Ethan Ampadu, um, more of a back three option, but may be uh, available in the summer on, on loan. They've obviously just signed Benoit Badia-Shiele um, and whether that maybe as an outside bet makes Trevor Chalabar available for, for transfer or for loan. Uh, those are the players that I looked at and thought that maybe you, you're able to fill a homegrown spot and get a really nice solid third choice option that can, that, that would be able to play in a back four um, in to really solve some issues defensively next season. If we, if I right, think we'd be linked by X, WH employee, um, to Suter and Tosin Adarabayu. 
Adarabai is an interesting one. I'm not sure Suter interests me such, uh, as much as Adarabai does. Adarabai in the last year of his contract with Fulham, you are right, um, and he could be he could be an option maybe to come in as as I think you're looking at it and saying you if, you, if you're going to play a back four next season, Zuma and Agurd are going to be your your starting centre backs. So it's about recruiting sort of a third centre back who is comfortable on either side would be the the, the sort of the best thing you could find, and hopefully you you find someone who's homegrown as well to really to to really help out. Um, where elsewhere you might want to look at look at options that um with, with yeah. where you can put a little bit more money behind them maybe and not necessarily be looking just at the english market um should we go into midfield midfield's a bit of a a mess there's a lot of players <laughs> um rice i we don't know i we assume he's going to to leave which would leave us with what suchek uh with a year plus one left on his deal um, for Nals with a year left on his deal, Pakatar long long contract, um, Flynn Downs another long contract, uh, Manuel Lanzini maybe renewal uh, for, with two years left on his deal, uh, and Nikola Vlasic I'm assuming is going to be leaving. So it's not really uh, hugely stocked if Rice leaves, and I guess you would be forced to sign a number six and a number number eight in the summer. Yeah, that's what I've got on my my squad plan: six and an eight. Um, how you go about it? Um, in terms of the quality, I think you probably have to bring in a, a very good six, given given the void that's going to be left by arguably the best six in the league. A, I think with Pakitar and Fournals and Suchek about, you can probably get away with a squad eight. Um, maybe looking at the championship for someone in that role. Um, but I think six, I would be looking across Europe, maybe to South America, depending on um. The, the age profiles um, I don't know how you would look to balance that squad makeup in the midfield I think if 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 Rice goes then I agree with you if if for whatever reason Rice potentially stayed then Conor Gallagher is the is the player that would be super interesting to me um, mm-hmm. in the summer boys will go for him absolutely um, convinced boys will go for him I think it's an important thing that, that needs to be solved in the squad and, and a, a goal-scoring midfielder in absence of Suchek's goals, we've really struggled. I don't think Suchek would be a starter next season. Um, and and therefore, I think Gallagher is just a really interesting option, someone who can press from midfield yeah. really well, someone who can arrive in the box and score goals. And if you think of a of a midfield three where Rice gets to sit and you've got Pakatar and Gallagher um, yeah. as your two midfielders either, so that feels really, really good. Um, yeah, I think I've railed on Gallagher before, but I think that was because it was when we were looking at Suchek replacements and the one thing we needed when replacing Suchek was someone who's a progressor. Now, Gallagher is not a progressor, but now that we've got Pakitar who can take on that responsibility, having a midfielder who is great at crashing the box, a la Suchek, but also is a very, very effective presser, I think the balance of that midfield is 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 way more exciting than when I was entertaining the idea of Gallagher in the summer. Yeah, and should Gallagher not be available, I also think Connie Chick-Wemaker is maybe an interesting option mm-hmm. as well. Uh, potentially someone who might be available on loan. And Ruben Loftus-Cheek, uh, another player, Ooh, homegrown, yes. <laughs> uh, who might be available in the summer. <laughs> Chelsea just really full of interesting options, and it will depend on on what happens in the summer with them, whether they put big money behind Graham Potter and he's still there. Um, but there may be a few players available on loan, or maybe even loan to to, to buy options that would be really interesting to augment the strength of, of West Ham squad looking in the wide positions um Bowen will be a key player next season 
uh, regardless of what happens. Sai Ben Rama will have three years left on his contract. Um, there will also be Maxwell Corne, should he ever appear again um, on a long contract <laughs> till 2027. Uh, and that's it, really, uh, in the wide positions, which to me makes me think another. that you need maybe one, maybe even two um, on on the flanks. I, I, look, the contra- maybe a bit controversial to some people. I would look at selling side Ben Rama. He's had a good season. He's raised his individual profile. <laughs> have three years left on his contract. For me, if there's one player you can sell to generate funds to 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 regenerate the attack, someone who I don't think should be a starter next season. Um, it's Ben Rama. Uh, so if, if there was the potential to be, be able to move him on for somewhere around 20 million pounds, he is someone I would move. Um, and then I would be looking at bringing in two wingers. Um, again, just looking at homegrown options. I'm going to just try and sort of provide a, a few options for each position that I've looked at. Reese Nelson is the one that really interests me. Uh, leaving Arsenal on a free in the summer at the, as things stand. Um, someone that would be homegrown. You'd be offering him a decent contract staying in London. I think he'd be interested in all of those things. Um, and I think he'd get a shot at, at, at more minutes, um, which would be great for his development. I think he's a very good player. Um, I think I worry a little bit about his physicality um, and I would be keen to get him uh, on on a sort of weight program to to, to help with that a bit. Uh, definitely if he's going to be playing uh, under a manager like David Moyes, although we don't know that at all, and that's not really the angle we're taking when we're building this. But um, but yeah, he's he's an interesting option. Callum Hudson-Odoi, again, Chelsea, another player who's just kind of injuries, loans, not just really had an opportunity to settle for a, for a long while. Uh, and another player at Chelsea who looks pretty out of favour and may not be staying beyond uh, the summer is uh, Christian Pulisic. Um who potentially would be an interesting sort of more premium option to come in uh, and play as a, as a winger for West Ham. Those would be the the players I'd picked out uh, in the Prem that could could potentially come in. We did speak about Wolf Zaha, um, mm. who's out of contract, but that seems seems very unlikely. I, said, I think I think they've an app. It seems to be that Trossard is definitely looking to go. He's only twenty eight. He was in December, so he's an older side. But I could see an interest in someone like Trossard as well, definitely. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I obviously just, these Dan Juma links are not going to go away. Either. Yeah, I think he looks. I, I, I mean, he's obviously a brilliant player, but I think based on the reports that I've seen, it looks like he's going to be going either to Everton or back on loan to Bournemouth again. Um, I think just in terms of a few players across Europe, uh, obviously we've looked at all the homegrown options. I think um, Dango Atara at Lorient. Um, is someone that I think we've been linked to. Yeah, um, linked this window. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think that's a, that's a name that I'm particularly excited by. Um, given the lack of cover that Bowen's got, uh, a 20 year old right sided forward, left footed, good XG returns, um, good movement, good running in behind. I, I don't see it not work well obviously that's such a ridiculous (laughs) thing to say but uh, it could not work but just in terms of stylistically from what I've seen of him and and the numbers track as well I mean seven one dribble attempts is great um, with 50% uh, accuracy what I really like uh, is the 6.2 ball recoveries per 90 which is uh, indicative of a very effective presser is he quite Um, tall as well I think he's 5 foot 10 um, which is 
fine yeah. for a winger. Sorry, that's, 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 how, that's how tall <laughs> I am. That's fine. That's absolutely yeah. massive, actually. Yeah. Five foot ten is fine. You heard it on the K1B podcast. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, other options. I mean, a real, uh, I don't know if his name will come up and potentially too luxury now, but numbers-wise, you can't really look past if we're looking at upgrading Ben Rama, uh, Martin Terrier, just purely yeah. for the goal output that he gets on that left side. Um, he's he is quite tall I think from memory he uh, is and he would be flexible, yeah. flexible enough to play as a, as a similar to Bowen be able to deputise up front as well right yeah so he's another name I'd look at um, with regards to going back down the pitch just another few names I'll sprinkle in there um, if we're looking at a six that can that would be happy to just I think one thing that I'll say that I'd look for in, in replacing Rice is Rice was to me at his best when he was the six, the screener, winning every ball. And since he's developed, he's obviously brought ball carry into his game. He's looking to have more of an impact in the final third. I think when we replace him, we strip it back a bit and just recruit someone who is happy to just be a six and is not going to necessarily look to be all over the pitch. And I think if we're looking for that, Elias Skiri of FC Köln is someone who yeah. I think for the last two or three seasons has ranked highest in terms of possession adjusted interceptions consistently. Um, and yeah, good engine on him. And I think he would be a perfect candidate to screen that back for, um, from, from my point of view. Uh, I'll chuck in a South American one while we're here on, on the topic of the eight as well. Um, Vicente Pizarro is someone who I've, I'm going to keep saying his name because I really believe that he is destined for the top he's currently playing for Colo Colo uh, in in Chile uh, and he's 20 years old yeah only just turned 20 um, had the best defensive dual success rate um, in the Chilean league before he got injured Uh, 75% from eight defensive duels which is really impressive um, but he's also got 90% progressive passing accuracy from 10 progressive passes per 90 so that sort of balance I think is something that given his age is is really exciting and if if we're talking about going towards this model of recruiting from undervalued leagues in these positions that aren't going to be guaranteed starters then i think recruiting a very promising 20 year old central midfielder from chile that's not going to cost you a great deal of money um would be a move that i'd be really in favor of i suppose the only issue is whether he qualifies in terms of brexit um, the GBE points, I think when I last looked, he would get about 10, which you have to have 15 to qualify automatically, but 10 is enough to take it to an exceptions panel. And my understanding is that generally, if you can make a strong enough case for the fact that they're going to be worth a lot of money in the future, they'll probably usher it through. Um, another option in midfield uh, before we wrap it up from me is um, someone who's been on my radar for a while, perhaps not the most exciting uh, he is 27 years old, but Matt Grimes is someone that every year for Swansea seems to turn out exceptional numbers. Another homegrown option. Can't imagine he'd cost that much because Swansea don't look like they're going to be... Just going to uh, nick what Swansea's midfield. I have just Grimes and Downs in there. Yeah, yeah. I just think his profile, again, is another one. Defensively very astute um, with good progressive ability. So, again, not bringing him in to start. I don't think we need to necessarily bring in a midfielder to start. Um in terms of a progressor, because we've got Pakatar, I think you need to bring in a defensive midfielder to start if Rice goes, which for me is scary. And then you look to bring in a sort of undervalued, but but well-rounded midfielder for that A position. We're not going to gonna have to time to do strikers. strikers. <laughs> I mean, not, there's no time to do strikers. So uh, I, as, as Chris referenced earlier, I guess Barry Bigdinners is coming in. <laughs> 
Barry Big yeah. Dinners. Big Barry Dinners is coming in. He'll come for a free. He's homegrown, but he's still got the Chile, if you uh, need that in your life. <laughs> so it's, it's the perfect name, really. Um, nice. I mean, I suppose the, the one to end on, really, is would you extend Antonio or keep Antonio, uh, contract's not up, for the year, thinking third choice, reasonable character, homegrown, etc., worth doing, or would you look to sell him as basically depends on the offers available if there's an offer that's really good he goes if if not you keep him as he's a useful option to have in the squad on his homegrown and he's a he's he's a older member of the squad that you potentially want to keep around when there's all this flux going on yeah yeah i agree i would say uh what throw a quick name lois appender has been really impressing me oh yeah someone to have on our radar 22 years old in great form um and also uh, if we're looking at homegrown and potential loan options just as a squad player, um, following Balogun's been doing really well out in France. He's on loan from Arsenal at the minute. I don't think he'd be Prem ready, but I think as a squad option to hang around, could be someone that we might look into. Yeah, I mean, I think they'll look at Gio. I don't know how to say his name, so let's just go with Gio Corres. Uh, yeah, that's a very Swedish pronunciation in absolutely no way. Um, <laughs> Coventry, oh, Coventry striker. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I was like, who is this guy? Gio Corres. <laughs> Dave at Coventry. Um, yeah, here we will be I, we look at. Yeah, um, but yeah, with I think it's it's difficult, isn't it? I mean, I we will expand on some of the other things, so we can look at kind of the identity profiles and where we'd like to move on with the team in another edition of the KUMB podcast. We'll have some games to try and not discuss and ignore as well. Um, but until then, <laughs> it'd be lovely to not talk about West Ham, but talk about West Ham with you all again. And we shall speak again soon. Subscribe to Analytics United. Read about David Moyes' alternatives. Or, well, not read. It's on the podcast. Listen to us talking about David Moyes' alternatives. We're Cal talking about David Moyes' alternatives. <laughs> yeah. And Vicente Pizarro. There's a whole profile on him if you want to know more about my Chilean wonder boy. All right. See ya. Yeah, that as well. <laughs> Right, so we're here in the offices of a late late show with the host of a late late show, James Corden. Hi. Big West Ham fan. Yes. <laughs> I'm big knees up Mother Brown man. Yeah. Yeah, I'm regularly on the general discussion page. There's always someone who's got some information, so I love it, yeah. yeah. It's great. Yes, it's Find excitement it. surrounded by imminent disappointment. <laughs> that's what it that's what it mostly is. Get on the forum at KUMB.com. Come on, you irons.